some hot fiddling right there welcome to rockstar violinist the podcast from electric violin shop that brings you the sauce this is episode 54 meaning we've talked to over 50 string players from all over the world playing all kinds of music but it occurred to me we had not really spent much time with celtic music so who else would i call but kiana june weber Right now, we're listening to Cricket Dance from her live album called A Girl and Her Violin. Kiana has toured all over the world with acts like Barrage and Gaelic Storm and was out with the musical Come From Away when the world stopped spinning in March. I caught up with her at her parents' house in Michigan recently, and we had a chance to do a Skype chat about life and music and what we hope to get back to very soon. So grab you a glass of Irish whiskey... And join me for a chat with Kiana June Weber, rock star violinist. So how have you been? Uh, pretty well, considering everything that's been going on in this crazy time. How about you? Doing all right. You know, spending a lot more time in my studio than I'm used to. Yeah, um, same. A lot less time on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's been That's been the, the big, uh, big change, I think, for all of us. But yeah. <laughs> It's good that you have all of this. I mean, it's, the podcast has been amazing and just all the stuff that you've been putting out. It's very, very cool. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So I guess maybe tell people a little bit about what you were doing before uh, the plague hit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I um, was on tour with a Broadway show called Come From Away. Um, and we were at that exact moment, we were um, finishing up a really successful run in Texas Um it's been, you know, such a pleasure touring with the show. We've been doing two years of sort of sold out performances as all these great halls all over the country. Um, and yeah, we were basically given the call that everything was going to shut down and you have 24 hours to pick where you want to go and get on a flight and take what you can with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Wow. So like 24 hours of notice to decide where am I going to spend the next, now we know it's like six months. Well, yeah. And that was the thing too. I didn't, I had no idea what kind of decision we were making. Is this two weeks? Is this, you know, two months? I definitely wasn't thinking it was six months at the time um, or longer. So yeah, we just, luckily um, my parents have a beautiful farm um, here in the States. So my husband who also tours with me and tours with his own band, and I decided that we would go there for what we thought was going to be a couple months. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was a crazy time. I mean, our touring setup is fairly large as a big show. And so, you know, we have multiple instruments and a huge amount of audio gear. And that was sort of just like, eh, take what you can fly with and we'll figure it out later. And I actually just got my um, violin, my second, I tour with two violins because um, they're tuned differently. And I just got the second one um, last week, finally returned to me from sitting in a warehouse in Texas. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, probably not an air-conditioned warehouse. Um, well, it was, it was in the actual theater for a quite a long time, oh, okay. which I think saved the instrument over the summer because I was having panic attacks, as you can imagine, that, you know, this instrument sitting in a warehouse somewhere in the Texas heat was not going to be returned in great condition. But no, the uh, company was great. So they actually left it in an office at the theater we were at because it was empty for so long. Um, so it was in air conditioning for quite a while. But yeah, it didn't enjoy the travel in the heat, I can tell. <laughs> no. Wow. So you've been splitting time the last few years between the States and overseas, right? Correct. Yeah. I moved to Ireland about five years ago, I think, um, and have kind of, yeah, lived this sort of strange transatlantic life <laughs> for the last while. Um, but it's been such a, a gift. I've really enjoyed all my time over there and obviously just been soaking up the music culture because um, that's really largely the kind of music that I do. I do a lot of Celtic, particularly Irish fiddle playing. 
And so being over there in Galway has just been so much fun. So, yeah, that's been lovely. Now, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Michigan, um, southeastern Michigan, in the Ann Arbor, greater Ann Arbor area, um, in Chelsea specifically, um, where we actually have a great um, Celtic music culture, surprisingly. And we had a, an extracurricular Celtic band at our high school. So that was part of my musical upbringing. That's amazing. Yeah, my parents are in Temperance, Michigan. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, just down the street. And then I went to the other university in Michigan. Oh, mm. <laughs> it's okay. We'll still go, talk. Go green. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I had no idea that there was like an Irish music scene and Celtic music scene around there. Yeah. They're... And I'm a redhead. Like, so everybody <laughs> always asks me, do you play Irish of music? Course, I'm like, yeah. not a lick. I don't play any. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's the thing I've really enjoyed about the sort of American folk music culture is that it's so diverse, and I think it really reflects the sort of immigrant cultures that, you know, dot each area. And um, yeah, this particular part of um, Michigan has a whole lot of fiddle music in it, and there's a lot of Celtic, um, Irish, and Scottish immigrant culture that sort of brought its music with, with them, and... Yeah, we're also lucky we're so close to Canada. We get a lot of um, that great sort of Ottawa Valley Canadian fiddle style in this area as well. Yeah. So maybe you could educate me and, and our listeners a little bit about some of the different sort of subgenres in, in that area. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I would love to. This is something I've really sort of enjoyed studying over the years because I've been... Um, been touring with all these Celtic artists and that's been so much a part of my life but discovering how it differs in all these different places and all the all the strange places that music brings you as you know on tour you end up in so many diverse places um, and connecting with local cultures there um, but yeah within Celtic music um, we have you know it's obviously a very strong culture in Ireland and I like to think of that style as sort of very um you know, this is the, the pub culture of like sitting playing tunes in the corner. It's very, it very much reflects the way that Irish people talk, the way I th also think Scottish music reflects the way that they talk and the way that they choose to ornament things and the kind of accents that are used. Um, so yeah, Irish music, Scottish music has a slightly um, like harsher, more aggressive sound to it, I think. Um, and then these cultures, this Celtic culture, brought its music with them everywhere they went across the world. So um, you find it obviously very strongly in Canada. Um, there's sort of an eastern seaboard Celtic music in Canada, Prince Edward Island style. As you go farther inland, you find the Ottawa Valley sort of style of Celtic music. Um, and then you even find really strong Celtic cultures all over Europe. Um, for example, in Spain, in northern Spain, in Galicia, they have a really strong music culture of this sort of Celtic piping music. Um, in northern Italy as well, um, there's a whole sort of culture in northern Italy that very much considers themselves Celtic more than Italian. Um, yeah, all over the place. Yeah. So there's some different stylistic things from that to like what we'd consider traditional Western classical music, right? Sure. I think the right hand is, is a big part of that. Yeah, uh, the right hand is a huge part of it. And um, I think even just the mentality about how we're using the bow arm is very different. The um, For me, and I, I can speak only as someone who's sort of dabbled in both worlds, when I'm playing classical music, I'm very driven by... Um, my left hand and phrasing with my left hand. And in Celtic music, it's all the opposite. My right hand is controlling just about everything that's going on. Um, it's really a drive. Yeah, the right hand is really driving the, the rhythm, it's driving the accents that are happening, and it's really sort of used as the, um, I don't know, the, the interest in, in, in building your tune, I think. There's obviously a lot of like left hand ornaments and things that are happening, but they're much more subtle, I think. And uh, yeah, the groove is obviously so important because all of this music is made for dancing. And um, that for me just really comes from what you're doing with your right hand, how you're bowing things, how you're using or not using certain amounts of bow. Um, 
how you're placing accents, and there's even different techniques, like um, in Celtic music we use cuts a lot, which are sort of these really fast triplets that you do with your bow, um, mm. as sort of an, an ornament or a stylistic thing that's very jumpy. Um, yeah. Well, we could talk about it, or we could listen to it. Here's a little tune called Spider Bite by Gaelic Storm. So yeah, that's yeah. The whole thing about it being dance music, and I think probably in in situations where they had the fiddle was the main driving source of rhythm rather than a drum, which is what I'm used to in rock and roll. We used to we let the drums handle most of the rhythmic stuff, um, but the fact that you actually have to drive the rhythm for people to dance and you have to provide that groove is a is a whole different mentality. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the really important difference to start to think of because you are responsible for the the rhythmic integrity of what's happening. And even in a group setting, I find this very interesting. Like if you have someone accompanying you and a guitarist perhaps, they're they're not necessarily as in control of what's happening rhythmically. You really are as a fiddle player. You have to be totally driving with your right hand. Um, and if there were a drummer, even uh, like a boron or something like that, it's a, actually a much more lyrical instrument in Celtic music than it is just a rhythmic center. Um, you know, they're never just playing four on the floor. They're doing a lot of like rhythmic stuff that goes with the melody of the tune. So it's, it's very melodic, very different mindset. Yeah, that's cool. So you started out playing Celtic music in a band like in high school, right? Yeah, well, I was playing um, even younger than that. I actually started um, studying Suzuki first as a you know little kid, and I had a teacher that would just throw me fiddle tunes every now and then, and mm. learning everything by ear, I didn't really know the difference. I just loved it all, and particularly got into the Celtic music and... Yeah, then started really pursuing all of the fiddle music side by side with the classical training I was doing. And then once I got to um, high school, we had this extracurricular Celtic ensemble that actually toured all over the Midwest. So that was a huge inspiration for me to keep pursuing that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a so lovely then, opportunity. So then off to music school at Michigan. Yep. Yep, so went to music school in Michigan, studied classically, got a performance degree. And um, then half, actually before I graduated, two years in, I was um, approached by a group called Barrage and um, ended up touring with them for three years. So I left school, toured all over the place with Barrage, which was incredible. Um, we went all kinds of crazy places. And... A lot of exposure to just different styles of fiddle music. It's very much a show that embraces fiddle culture from all over the world. So we got to really engage with that in many places in China, in Central America, South America, all over Canada. Um, yeah, you name it. We went everywhere. It was awesome. And yeah, then I went back to school, finished my performance degree, and then I started touring with a band called Gaelic Storm which is sort of the like big Celtic rock band in North America and got to headline a lot of Irish festivals in the States and travel all over the place doing that. Lots of heavy touring, but great shows, huge festivals and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So how open-minded were your professors at Michigan to you doing non-classical stuff? Um, not much at all at first, I will say. Um, I actually switched professors um, when I 
from when I left and to went to Barrage and then when I came back and um, that was a big part of it. The professor I was originally studying with was much more into the, you know, general, um, I don't want to say old school in a bad way, but like in preserving the tradition of classical as it is. Um, and it just was not jiving with me at all. And I really wanted to be pursuing the fiddle music I was doing. It was even kind of a problem that I would be going and like gigging on the weekends while I was in school, which was how I paid for school. So it ended yeah. up being kind of important. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a really difficult thing to navigate. And going back, I actually found the school um, a, had really changed and embraced everything a lot more but at the time it was it was not a, a decision that was very approved of I guess by everyone in the school you know it's sort of a strange thing hey I'm gonna I'm gonna just take off for a couple years and tour with this weird fiddle band from Canada what do you think but it turned out well, to be I mean, a great you're, decision <laughs> you're playing you're getting paid you know that's that's good yeah I I think that I've noticed a big shift in music schools lately, it seems like, that are really, a lot of them are really starting to embrace this sort of, you know, alternative styles, for lack of a better term, um, genre in, in violin and string playing in general. And I think that's a great move for the future of music. But that's just my own spiel. Yeah. Well, so for people who don't know much about Barrage, tell people uh, what the story is with that group. Barrage um, is a fiddle troupe, I guess I would say. Um, it was from Canada originally, and there are, in the show, it's very choreographed. Think, you know, Performing Arts Center, like Riverdance. There are six fiddle players that are on stage the entire show, and you play the music for the show as well as dance it throughout the, the whole performance. So it's a very kind of choreographed sensory experience where we're dancing the music for a tango while we're playing a tango. And then we're doing some Canadian step tunes while we're actually stepping to them. Um, very choreographed, big lighting, you know, just a, it was a really cool show, really hard, <laughs> really, really hard to do. Um, but we had months of training with the choreographer and you know, show builds with lighting and everything. It was, it's a very cool show. Definitely go check out a video of it. Um, I, they were actually a huge inspiration for me growing up as a fiddle player. Just something that at a time when there weren't a lot of sort of alternative styles, quote, options, um, they were really doing that. And I remember just looking at, I went to see their shows a couple times when I was growing up as a fiddle player being like, wow, someday. I would love to do that. And lo and behold, I actually got to live that dream, which was incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Very full circle. I've actually, yeah, uh, I've played in party bands and stuff and had to do choreography while playing and singing. And that's hard. It's really like, hard. Really hard. <laughs> yeah. It, it ends up getting easier over time, I think, with all of the, you know, just forcing yourself to do it so much. It, it definitely helps you get used to it. And then eventually I actually found the choreography became very much a part of how I play the tunes. I found it almost hard to kind of go back to just doing the one. Um, but that's been something that really stuck with me since that experience. I, I love moving on stage. I love engaging with my audience that way and dancing around the stage. And I think there's a really important visual element to helping your audience understand the tune that you're playing, to expressing what's happening in the music visually as well as just orally. I, I think that it really helps them just dive into the music with you and understand it at a deeper level. Speaking of moving, if this doesn't make you move, I can't help you. This is Mahatma from Barrage.
that was one of the hardest things for me in cl classical music. You know, I'm a I'm a metal head and a, and a rock guy. Yeah. And when they want me to play the Bach, and I got my feet nailed to the floor, and it's I, I just that's not how I work. You know, it's I I think if you're not feeling the music and it's not making you move, I mean. What, what are you even doing? I know, and I think it's a sad thing that we get very much into that rigid mindset of playing. I, I truly agree with you that I, I think people naturally want to move and naturally feel the music that way when you're really in it. And it's sad that that's sort of like beaten out of a lot of players, I think. I, I just think that's part of what the music is. Yeah, for sure. So then you ended up back at Michigan after Barrage and finished your degree and then went back out on the road again, right? Yeah, so yeah, and that's when I started touring with Gaelic Storm, which was a completely different experience. Um, very much more, you know, diving into this Celtic music I'd been loving my whole life, um, but more of sort of a like rock band show, you know, we're on stage with a drummer, with lights at a festival, that kind of feeling instead of a performing arts center. And then when that ended, that's when you started going out with uh, Come From Away? Um, there was a quick period in between where I kind of started working more on my own solo stuff. And then um, I was actually healing from an injury for a little while. So I studied yoga, did some nutrition coaching, and I started touring with Carlos Nunez, who is a Spanish artist, which is how I got to know Galician music so well. And we spent a lot of time touring around northern Spain and northern Italy and France and, yeah, exploring that kind of um, European Celtic music culture. Awesome. So yeah, I guess maybe talk a little more about Come From Away and what that experience is like and what it's like touring with that group. So Come From Away is a beautiful show. Um, it's a Broadway musical about people who um, were stranded during 9-11 um, international travelers that were you know in flight and then all of a sudden had to be their planes had to be grounded, and we. this is a story I didn't really know, but many, many planes were grounded in Gander in Newfoundland, which is basically on the map of North America, the very eastern point um, of Canada. And it used to be sort of a place that airplanes would stop all the time to refuel before the sort of modern version of airplanes um, that we know now happened. And so it's a very old sort of abandoned airport. But when 9-11 happened, um, everyone needed to get grounded as soon as possible. And so all of a sudden we have 10,000 international travelers, all these jumbo jets land on this really tiny, tiny island in a really tiny airport um, in a town whose population is only 7,000. And it's just a beautiful story about the interactions that happen between all of these travelers and all of the locals who really embrace this event and take everybody in, literally take them into their houses, put them up in churches, feed them for five days, because that's how long U.S. airspace was closed, was for five days. So, and sort of a story in real time of this event happening and a really positive story of what happened out of that 9-11 tragedy. So it feels really good to get to tell that story. And um, the whole background of it is this Celtic culture of Eastern Canada seaboard, um, which is something I've obviously studied a lot and spent a lot of time playing. And so when this opportunity came up to play music for this show and actually be in the show, because the fiddle player is on stage during it, um, I just jumped at it because it's, it's a beautiful message and it's a music that I love. So it feels so meaningful to be in. Um, and then what is it actually like touring with this show? It is incredible. Um, a Broadway show is just like new levels of production that I hadn't ever gotten to experience before. Um, new levels of expectations. It is definitely high pressure. I mean, you're sitting, you're sitting looking at a monitor, you have in-ear monitors, um, you know, there's all these different countins and clicks and everything happening in your head, and you, d you have to be on every night, like really mentally oh, yeah. on. And um, it's such a strange thing looking back now that I'm, after two years of, you know, almost eight shows a week, every week, you really get used to it. But I'm sort of looking at when we go back thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to really practice up for that again. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, it's a it's a bit of a mental workout, honestly. You know, you're trying to deal with all of the time changes, the key changes, everything that happens, and it's um, the way this show is orchestrated is much more like a movie than it is like a traditional sort of Broadway show. There's no stop in the music ever; it just keeps going. Um, okay. So you, I'm playing basically the entire time through it. Um, and there's no just like, okay, now we stop and there's a bunch of dialogue and we all kick into a tune together. It's all vamps and playing under dialogue and you're playing in the background, playing the the sort of soundtrack for what's happening and then you're out front playing the tune that's happening in this moment. And yeah, it's not. So you're actually physically moving between the pit and the stage back and forth. Well, there's no pit actually. This stage... All the musicians are on stage all the time. We're kind of... Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. this The set is very minimal. Um, it's sort of like a bunch of trees that are in the background, and we each have sort of a spot that we go to in the wings, but we're still on stage, so you can see the music that's happening the entire time. And I think that was a very conscious decision because the music culture of Newfoundland is really important to the the people there and it's a very strong culture so the entire time you're watching this show you'll be able to see the fiddle player and see the drummer and see the illin piper sort of in the wings and then sometimes we come onto stage and then go back and onto stage and go back so they've got to have you wireless in order to do that right yes yes oh wow yeah wireless so then how definitely sorry no, no, good. So how often do you guys change venues? Is I guess it probably depends on the place, right? It depends, yeah. We, um, minimum in one place is a week, um, which okay. is a totally different touring setup than what I was used to. With Gaelic Storm, you know, it was a little bit more the traditional kind of rock and roll band. You, you get in, load in every day, do your sound check, load out at night drive to a hotel by the highway, get to the next place the next right. day. Um, this is you load in minimum of a week. Usually it's more like three or four weeks in a place. So you really move in because they need time to build the stage. They bring their entire stage with okay. them everywhere. Um, you build in. Um, we do one sound check for the week, and then we're set up in that space. So you would do eight shows, eight shows a week once you get set up. And it, I guess you probably feel like you get to know that town a little bit better. You do, yeah. It's a very different way of touring. It's um, You don't have the same momentum and like rock and roll crowd interaction of, of that kind of show, but you get to be in a town in a sort of like slower, low-pressure way. And I've really enjoyed the difference where you get to sort of know the feel of the place a bit more. Yeah. I think about how many places I've been that I've never seen during the day. Exactly, yeah, that was me. I <laughs> All was... these places, what was it like? I, I don't know, it was dark. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and I had been to, you know, like Seattle, I had been to so many times before for shows, but like never really lived there, and we got to rent an apartment there for six weeks and just like live in a neighborhood and figure out, oh, this is what this feels like, and you know, you have a lot of the day off when you don't have to do a sound check or a rehearsal, so we got to go to parks and you know, go to the public market, experience more of what that city has. It's a really fun yeah. difference. So then you've got, you've basically got like your road family that that's pretty much who you live with and know, right? Exactly. Yeah. In a similar way to band life, you, you get to know your road family really well. And um, I have to say Come From Away has the best road family because it's such a such a mixed group of people, you know, all ages, but very family oriented. I mean, we had... Gosh, when we all left Texas, I think we had seven dogs on tour, many spouses, lots of kids. You know, it's a real family vibe, so it's it's fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it sort of takes a little bit of the uh, the the weirdness out of touring. I mean, that's that's the hard thing about touring is just being away from your family so much. For sure. Yeah, and I've um, I was lucky in. Um, the various different groups that I've been with that they've all been very open to having like spouses or, you know, families come out for short periods, but it doesn't work the same way. You know, it might just be a, a day visit here or there. Um, yeah, this is very different. And I think it has to be because it's also a much longer commitment. You know, you're on the road with no break for most likely a year. You know, we didn't have any weeks off. 
throughout the entire first year I was with the company. So there was no time to go home anywhere. So everyone just kind of brings their home with them. Yeah. Well, that works. Yeah. Just a very different kind of touring life setup. So it was a, a world I really knew nothing about before this opportunity came about. And I definitely would recommend it to other violinists and, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure has all the skills to do this kind of a show. And I think it's a world that's um, really unknown outside of the Broadway community. And I've just been very thrilled to be a part of it and really lucky. So I would definitely recommend people sort of checking it out. Yeah. Post plague, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully when everything, when we all go back to live music, <laughs> uh, hopefully. I cannot wait. Here's a little bit of the opener from Come From Away, just to give you a little bit of a feel of what we're talking about for what this musical is and what it feels like. On the northeast tip of North America, on an island called Newfoundland, is an airport that used to be one of the biggest airports in the world. And next to it is a town called Ganda. Everybody knows everybody else, and everybody in this room has a story about how they started that day. Welcome to the rock if you come from away. You probably understand about a half of what we say. They say no man's an island, but an island makes a man. Especially when one comes from a land. Welcome to the rock. That morning I'm in the classroom. It's our first day back and the school buses are on strike, so I'm covering for Annette, who's running late. Sorry, Beulah. How's the kids? Not exactly thrilled to be inside on such a gorgeous day. So I told them we'd only have a half day this morning and they were quite pleased. Until I told them we'd have the other half in the afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to the whitest sweater that you've ever heard of. Where everyone is nicer, but it's never nicer, Bob. Welcome to the farthest place you'll get from Disneyland. Fish and chips and shipwrecks. This is no fun I'm in my car. The kids cross Airport Boulevard to get to school, and at that time of day, people are in a bit of a rush to get to work and stuff. So normally I sit there and I run my radar. <laughs> and if they're speeding, I'll stop them and I'll write out a warning ticket. I'll write STFD. Slow the fuck down. Welcome to the land where the winter's tried to kill us, and we said, We will not be killed. Welcome to the land where the water's tried to drown us, and we said, We will not. Welcome to the land where we lost our loved ones and we said We will still go on Welcome to the land where the wind strikes the blow And we said no That morning I dropped my kids off at school and head to the SPCA Where I'm greeted by my other kids Al Berkin and Meowin for breakfast and a belly rub Not that I'm complaining, I love some but by the time feeding's done, I've got to get back to pick up my human kids. So I take just one second for myself and I'm sitting in my car. I'm in the staff room. I'm in the library. And, and I, I turn, turn on the radio. I'm running my radar when Bonnie comes by. She pulls up, she's waving at me like mad. So I roll down my window and she says, Ass, turn on the radio. Down, Bonnie. Ass, turn on your radio. sort of I guess you've maybe switched up your social media a little bit and started doing a little more teaching 
Um, has that been more of a conscious move or something that just kind of happened? Um, I guess conscious for the times, um, something that happened, you know, came naturally out of what happened um, because we had more time um, at home. I was able to just start taking on a few more students, um, which I usually don't have the time for because of my touring schedule. And then I was just discovering how much I love this. I've always loved teaching. Um, both my parents are actually educators. Um, they teach at a private school here. So I kind of got to, you know, dive into that a little bit more and loved it. And, um, yeah, just completely took off into something, um, completely different. And it's really been building into this beautiful community. I guess I have to say it's been one of the silver linings of this period that I've gotten to connect with and really get to know so many fiddle players with similar interests from all over the world. That's just been incredibly meaningful and I think has really kind of guided me through this time. I feel like we've all created a lovely community together. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one of the things that sort of really jumps out at me about your playing is your chop is just nasty. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that's a huge compliment coming from you. Wow, that's great. So where where did you learn all this all this crazy chopping stuff? Is this part of part of the like Celtic uh, music culture? Or is that a separate? No, thing? that is definitely just my own interests, and um, I am so honored that you said that. But I always feel like I just have no idea what I'm doing. I completely taught myself. That is all self taught, um, mostly just from listening to artists that I love and trying to play along and lots of terrible sounds happening at first <laughs> and moving <laughs> That's through how that. it's done. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fail, 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 succeed, fail, fail, fail. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my chop is totally a self-taught thing, but I, I think, I hope, and I've had students say this to me before, I think because of that process, I really understand how to teach it. So I've had some great success um, doing that with a lot of my students right now, um, because I, I had that sort of messy trial and error, like throw myself into it experience, um, got to really struggle against it. Sometimes I think that makes a for a really good teaching experience because I've tried it from so many different angles and struggled with it and yeah, arrived at something I think really works. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Your chop is, it's a very unique and different style of, of, and feel of chop. And I've got to say, it's one of my favorites and I've, ah. I've been around some, some hardcore choppers. Wow. <laughs> um, so anybody out there who's thinking like, Hey, I really want to learn how to, how to chop and, and not just, you know, chugga, 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 but, but some really cool and intricate rhythmic stuff. You got to hit Kiana up cause she's, she's got a killer chop. Thank you. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things to do, I have to say. And it's also really opened up a lot of doors to me as a fiddle player. Just to be able to comp has totally changed my mindset um, as a musician. And I think I highly recommend all fiddle players out there to, whether you chop or not, just exploring comping and what it's like to live in that like rhythm section mindset. I think it's so good yeah. for your music making. We talked about chopping. This is a little bit of chopping that Kiana put on her social media page. She does a whole class on this, teaches a whole class on how to do this. So I uh, highly recommend finding her website, finding her Patreon, and getting you a little bit of some of this. So what sort of uh, creative things have you been doing during uh, during quarantine? You've been writing? I have, yeah. Um, I've actually ended up being much busier than I expected during this period. Um, yeah, been writing a lot, um, recording a lot. Like you said, there's lots of lots more time spent in the studio than I usually get to, and that's been fun. Um, I'm working on my own album right now, and... All of this teaching has really led into a really cool thing. I started a fiddle club um, on Patreon where we learn um, a new tune every week. 
I set up little tutorials and give people sheet music. So you get all the resources you need to kind of just really succeed at each tune every week. And it's really taking off into a great community. Um, we also have monthly jam sessions, which has been super fun. Um, just virtually, we all jump on Zoom and get to jam along with each other. And yeah, it's been, that's been really cool. So I would love for anyone listening to check it out. Um, if you just go to patreon.com backslash Kiana June, I think it's backslash. Do you say backslash forward slash? Anyways, doesn't sure. matter. The slash Kiana June. Um, or you can find it from my website or Instagram. Um, yeah. So that's that's what Fiddle Club is. And that's been a huge thing I've been working on during this time. And it's been super meaningful. And yeah, I'm really happy with all the stuff that we're doing there. Learning lots of tunes, talking about comping, chopping, um, all the intricacies of lots of different kinds of music. We're doing Celtic music right now, but we're doing some Galician tunes next week, some more Spanish fiddling, and trying to sort of bring in music from all over my um, travels and musical history. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's what's a preview of, of the album? What kind of music can we expect there? Well, I think... This is still a process. <laughs> I'm really trying to discover what that's going to be. Um, it's going to be a lot of, obviously, fiddle playing on it. Some um, definitely, like, Celtic influence fiddle tunes. I've been writing a lot of my own tunes, but also trying to explore um, a little bit more of the kind of, like, history of the musics that I'm really into and how they arrived in America and sort of the whole culture that I grew up in. I'm just, I'm diving into the story of how this music that I love came to me and what um, what the process of that was like. And yeah, there's going to be some singing on it too. Um, I love singing and that's been a big part of my musical life, but I haven't gotten to do it as a solo artist yet. So there's going to be a bunch of songs with some fiddle backing on it. Um, lots of groovy fiddle <laughs> um, chopping and and uh backing parts as well yeah i think it's gonna be good i mean i'm still really excited it's early days and i'm really excited <laughs> about what's happening but um yeah it's gonna it's gonna be amazing yeah so have you given yourself a deadline or you're kind of letting this thing organically just do what it's gonna do um well it's the the deadline has already shifted once so i should probably <laughs> <laughs> just keep it to myself at the moment. No, I don't, I'm I'm trying for Christmas. I, I was hoping to have it done by this fall and like be properly um, working and getting it out there this fall. But things have just obviously taken off with Fiddle Club, which has taken a lot more of my time recently. Um, so it went on the back burner for a little bit, but now it's right up in front again. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping by Christmas we'll have something out. It's not a Christmas album though. I'm just, that's my time frame of, I want to have everything sort of finalized and I can start, um, talking more with the producer and getting the, the final structure of it set up by then. Yeah, that's very cool. So are you self-producing and self-recording or are you having this done somewhere? I'm, I am right now, but, um, and this is also part of the sort of stuff we're doing on Patreon. We have been talking a lot about like album production in general and um, I have a couple of producers that I really want to work with that we've sort of been toying with in this community. I've, I've been very open about this whole creative process in that particular community and just talking about oh, very cool. you know how is the recording happening even just sharing like some tech help because I think we all need it right now. <laughs> I feel like it's been a huge period of tech upscaling for everyone. So I try to be just really open and honest about, okay, yeah, here's the mic I'm using. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm creating these sounds and how you can too. And then talking about the sort of production end of, okay, this is larger what I want this to sound like. And I want to bring in these people to help me achieve that. Cause it's, I don't know. I've recorded for a lot of different bands over the years. And I find that having that outside voice can be really helpful. Um, just for perspective, for putting everything together, for hearing things that you don't hear because you're just so in yep. it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, that's very cool. So your Patreon community, is it's really like a fully immersive artistic community then. I think so, yeah. People are really involved on it. Um, you know, there's sort of different tiers is how Patreon works. And there's people that are just there 
to listen to the music. There are people who are really, you know, violinists who are there to learn the tunes, and they're the ones that are getting sheet music every week. They're getting backing tracks um, to practice to, and um, and there's also people that are there as like more part of supporting the community, being there for the album creation process, and just learning about the creative process in general, where I talk about, you know, what I do as a fiddle player, how I'm creating music, what am I doing, like I said, technically, how am I working on this album, what am I doing marketing-wise, you know, talking about all the social media mumbo-jumbo stuff, um, and sharing some of the marketing branding things that have become important to what we do now. Right. Well, that's very cool. So yeah, you guys definitely need to check out her Patreon page. And again, it's Kiana June, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then your website, tell people where to find you on there. It's kianajune.com. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. And YouTube? And YouTube. Yes. I always forget about well, YouTube. But We definitely. have all these platforms, right? <laughs> all the platforms. <laughs> it is so much work creating all this content it really like it's a lot so how do you manage that um carefully and that's a thing i am so happy to talk to anyone about one-on-one because i think we all need help in that area right now um i think looking at it very much like a business is important and um i would say this to all musicians out there but particularly violinists that are listening to this as artists, we really undervalue our time. Um, we don't charge for it enough. We don't even like keep track of it enough because there's sort of this mindset of, oh, it's just your, this is your art. And you know, you don't, you just spend all the hours doing it because you love it. And I think that that's crap, <laughs> honestly. This is what we do professionally. And yes, we love it. And I do go off and practice and like don't, spend time, you know, marking down how much time I've spent. But I think when you're working on business stuff, it's really important to keep track of it and keep track of your hours and also be able to say, okay, I put in, you know, two hours of work on this project. Now I'm going to close the screen and walk away and just check out, which is really hard to do. It is. And, and I think it's one of the, the undervalued parts of being an artist is that, that downtime I mean, that's when all my best ideas come to me is when I'm, quote, bored. Exactly. You know, when, I'm, when I'm cutting the grass or if I'm driving somewhere and I've decided I'm going to turn off the podcast, I'm going to turn off the music, I'm just going to drive in silence. And you've got some, some I guess, sort of dead time. What, what I would have considered before like wasted time. That's when all the ideas come. And I, and I think sometimes we, we hamper ourselves by being too occupied and too busy and it doesn't give your creative brain any space to work. I completely agree, yeah. I've actually started doing a lot of um, blogging at the very start of this um, COVID era, and that was one of the really big things I was writing about, is just the creative process that requires space. You have to have that boredom in your life, and I'd say boredom in, with no negative connotation. I think that's actually a really valuable part of the artistic process. You need to have space, you need to have silence, you need to just have that like totally blank creative mind space for new ideas to come in, and we rarely give ourselves that anymore. It's true. Well, I think it's just so easy to get content, right? I mean, there's there's all these content creators out there creating content and there's so many good ones. It's like, we've got access to things that we didn't have 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I can listen to you and to Mark Wood and Tracy Silverman and Ross Holmes and all these fantastic, like there's more content than I can reasonably consume. So I, I would, I sort of feel a little guilty for not consuming all this amazing content, mm. but then I, I've got to give myself time too. You know, just say, listen, I know there's great stuff out there, but right now I need to be thinking about mine. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also really hard to kind of not turn on the comparative mindset of, oh, they're doing all this stuff. They're, they're putting all these things out. I need to be doing that and just throwing yourself into creating things without giving yourself the thought process first. Really hard in the age of social media to turn that off. And that's something I, I really work at constantly. You know, I'm, I'm always giving myself that little pep talk of, okay, no, that's them. You need to give yourself space. You need to have 
time to create fresh ideas and that's great that they put that up but you don't need to do anything right now you can watch that later that's fine well from the outside from a person who's been following your social media for a while i think you do a great job of it oh so. thank you thanks very much well that means a lot awesome well Thanks so much for doing this interview. I think uh, I think people are really going to dig this, and I hope the people who didn't know you before are are new fans, and I, I hope the people that were fans before now know a little bit more than they did, and they're going to be bigger fans. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, it's been such a treat to get to talk to you on this. I really, really appreciate all of the podcasts you put together. They're incredible, and I'm just honored to be part of this series. Yeah, well, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Ah, thank you for hanging out. This has been another episode of Rockstar Violinist. If you would please mash that subscribe button on whatever uh, platform you're listening on and give us a comment, give us a rating, uh, send us a couple donuts, you know, whatever it is to show your appreciation. And we will see you in another month with another Rockstar Violinist. <laughs> <laughs>